sharing often, you know, recipes that have been handed down through generations and their families, it, it does really, it literally changes people's lives. I know that sounds kind of corny, but um, I do have women saying to me, this has changed my life. Today on Dirty Linen, we are doing something a little bit tricky. We are speaking about Ballarat, but we are not talking to Ballarat. We are heading across the seas to New Zealand to talk to Cherie Pilkington, who runs A Pot of Courage, a social enterprise in Ballarat. Cherie, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you. What, uh, what finds you in New Zealand? Oh, it's a bit of a story, but look, the short version is that um, my, my son and I came over in June, unfortunately, a bit um, unexpectedly. My mum had gone into intensive care oh. and, um, and you know, she, she sadly ended up passing away. And soon after that, due to COVID, all the flights shut down. So um, here we are still thinking that we would be away for 18 days and it's now three months. And we're still here. <laughs> Goodness me. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm really sorry about your mum. That must be just, it's just, uh, yeah, obviously it's a really sad thing to happen. And then you're caught up in all these these border stories that are such a feature of this COVID era. era. Yeah, it, look, it is. It's really difficult. But, I, you know, I, I remain positive and see the silver lining in all of this. It means that I can have more time with my dad and friends and family. And, um, you know, I'm in my family home that has been our family home for 52 years. And, um, you know, it's surrounded, of course, by mum's stuff. <laughs> but um, a lot of that stuff includes um, everything that's aligned with her passion for baking and cooking and sharing good food. So, you know, there's there's lots of, even though I'm not in the cafe at the moment, I'm, I'm still very well connected to, to food and the pleasure of sharing it. Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, that you are looking at the positive and that's, yeah, shows remarkable character. I really, really admire that. I find it very moving. Um, what's it like for your son? Is, is, has he got stuff here that he wishes he was doing? Oh, yeah, pretty tricky. He's, um, he's 13 and, you know, not seeing his mates for three months and not seeing his dad and, um, you know, just all the things that 13-year-olds would rather be doing than, you know, kind of being a housemate with, with their mum and their grandfather for three months. Um, but, you know, and, and remote learning, all of that is quite a lot. But but also um, I was just talking with a friend this morning about this, about adjusting to um, my the, – the way that I have been raised and very strong part of my um, Māori culture. And, you know, this has been – a lot of new experiences for him, particularly around the time of the death of my mum and the way that we do things is um, quite confronting, I guess, for, for someone of his age who hasn't grown up in this culture. Um, so that's been um, yeah, quite a challenge as well. Well, that's so interesting. So your family is Maori? Yes, um, we have um, Māori on both sides of my family and then also on Dad's family, um, Croatian. And um, so we, you know, again, like being back here and having all that, that culture that I grew up with around me is a real reminder actually of how much we sacrifice when we live away from our culture and our, and our families. Um, and, you know, reminds me every day of the 
challenges that the women who I work with, um, you know, just live with every day as well, particularly when they can go, you know, literally decades without seeing family or may not ever see them again. And, and they kind of have to find a way to accept that. Yeah, I mean, that does take us very neatly to a pot of courage and the project of your social enterprise that you run in Ballarat and launched just before COVID. Tell us mm. more about it. Yes, um, A Pot of Courage really came out of uh, the success of a book that we launched in 2018 and that book was called It Takes Courage, Sharing Secret Recipes and Stories from Our Homelands. So it featured women from about 14 different cultures who now call um, Ballarat home and we were able to, we were successful in um, receiving funding uh, when I was working at Women's Health Grampians. Um, and with this funding, we could bring in um, a professional photographer to teach the women photography skills. We ran art classes so that the women could create their own borders at the bottom of their pages in the book, um, had others coming in and, and working with the women to to do creative writing, to share stories um, from their lived experiences as well. So that book actually was the real launch pad for what, what has now become our social enterprise because when we launched the book in Ballarat, we thought wouldn't it be great if there were you know 50 people who came along and supported us and there were about 130 and we had food there, of course, that was uh, featured in the book and people kept saying, wow, you guys, you know, you need to open a restaurant, you need to run cooking classes and it was right around that time that the women involved um, I had them for um, a full-day session every Thursday when I was working in the prevention of violence against women's space. And at that time, they were talking about courage a lot, that it takes courage to navigate your way through, you know, systems in, in our society to, to leave your homeland and all that's familiar to you to learn the public transport system and you know some days it takes courage simply to get out of bed um, they talked a lot about how they had applied for so many jobs and just were not even getting an interview and all they wanted was to be able to give back to their community and to kind of get ahead in some way and it was really dragging a lot of them down so kind of flippantly at that time I said oh you know you need to maybe you need to stop applying for jobs because it's how many times can you be knocked down and be expected to get back up again um, and create, create your own income look at what you can do that nobody else in this town can do I come to your, you know, I'm running these sessions with you every Thursday and I say that I get to come to the best cafe in town every Thursday because I have this food laid out all over the table from all these pockets of the world and it is absolutely delicious. And um, so, yeah, after we launched the book and we talked about, we went through that conversation again and um, up on the whiteboard I just wrote two words in the middle of the board, I just put I can and then dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, tell me everything that you can do, all the skills that you have. And soon the whiteboard was full, ranging everything from, you know, I can cook for a feast where a thousand people have attended or I can now drive a car. And um, I said, you know what, I think that we have enough ingredients here on the board to create 
a social enterprise um, that really showcases your skills and also shares your culture. Wow. I mean, <laughs> that's already such an inspiring story just to, to flip around this rejection into ability and, you know, all the skills that were sitting in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, just t- tell me about some of the women that are in that room. Yeah. Um, one of them who comes to mind straight away, um, a Vietnamese woman, and um She had worked in hospitality in Vietnam, a great cook. She'd also um, specialised in cocktails. And um, she talked about um, that very first day that she arrived in Australia to live. And she's married to an Australian man. And the drive from uh, Tullamarine out to nil, way out, you know, way out west. <laughs> and she said that when she was in the car um, going along, she, she was looking out the window thinking, what have I done? Where are all the people? <laughs> and where are all the houses? And, um, you know, and then she arrived in nil and she was trying to be positive about her new home, of course, didn't know anybody. English was fairly limited, her language skills. And she said, "Oh, you know, the next day I got up and I thought, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go for a walk and just really take in my new home." And she said, "Oh, it took me half an hour, and I'd covered the whole town." <laughs> and um, and you know that sense of she'd grown up in um, Ho Chi Minh, and she said, "You know, the streets were always busy and full, and everybody, you know, stopped and talked to each other, and there were people in and out of your house, and you're sharing food with everybody, and suddenly oh, it was just so lonely." Um, Long story short, she she convinced her husband to move to Ballarat. She felt like she needed to be somewhere even a bit bigger than nil. And she joined our program. Um, in those first few weeks, she really just sort of looked down at the table and said very little every session. And then she just started to really come out of her shell and she started bringing food and for us to try. And she was so proud of what she put on the table every week. And, you know, fast forward, here she is in our cafe that to begin with was just a two-day-a-week pop-up cafe. And she's, you know, absolutely just smiling from ear to ear each day that she would bring out her fresh tray of Vietnamese rice paper rolls and her dipping sauces and people would be lining up for them. They were so good. And introducing Ban Mi to the menu and, again, people coming in and saying that they're driven, you know, quite a way just to come and get one of Jung's bar me. So, um, you know, so it's it's confidence building, it's sharing your culture and um, most importantly, financial freedom. Yeah, that's, yeah, so fantastic. Uh, so, so what happened? You've got all the words on the whiteboard. You feel like you're going to be able to build something. What happened? Yeah, next? and then I'm thinking, what have, what have I done? <laughs> Because it's not really my job. You know, it's not part of my job at Women's Health Grampians as an intercultural engagement advisor to suddenly start up a cafe and um, catering business. Um, But I've um, worked in hospitality in the past and love that um, uh, environment and, you know, just being in such a sort of dynamic, um, ever-changing space. And I really just, I said, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll donate my time um, to get this up and running and 
two years later, I'm still donating my time, but um, it's, well, three years later, actually. But um, you know what, it's, I'm so, so passionate about it um, and seeing the, the positive, really positive impact that it has made on people like Jung and others who were so isolated, sitting in their homes with the most incredible skills um, and now they're out there either still working for us or they've gone on to find other jobs, which is awesome, started their own little side businesses, um, and some of them have moved into different fields, but they're confident in doing that now. And what kind of customers do you have? I mean, is it sort of people from within those intercultural communities or is it, you know, everybody in Ballarat? I mean, who is drawn to the camp? Yeah, it, it's really interesting because we're, we're very fortunate that we are now based in um, a large building that is known as Barclay Square in Ballarat. And it is um, managed by Ballarat Group Training. But under that roof, there are 19 organisations who, you know, that, that's their, their base. And so, of course, we have, when, when COVID allows, we have, you know, more than 100 people in the building every day who are, who are working there. But um, the community um, has actually completely come on board and really support, they want to support what we do. Um, when people know the story of what it is that I'm really trying to achieve, they just want to play a part in that success somehow. So, yeah, the Ballarat community has been incredible. Um, of course, you know, there are a lot of our customer base are, are people who, you know, maybe tend to be supportive of and embrace multiculturalism anyway and also just um, want to help people to feel that they belong in Ballarat. So it's, it's quite a mixture of people, but, yeah, we've, we're certainly well supported. And, I mean, you've mentioned the, the sort of transformation uh, that this project has had for people like uh, Dong. Uh, Jung, yes, yes. Jung, That's I'm right. sorry. Um, what, what kinds of, like, personal transformations are possible when someone's engaged to show their skills in this way? Yeah, well, we see their true personalities come out when they are given these opportunities, when when you can see that other people are, you know, not just enjoying your food but paying for it and enjoying it and then telling others to come and try this dish that Jung or, or Rishna or somebody made, um, that's so um, confidence building but also that sense of pride in who you are and your skills and in your culture, um, sharing often, you know, recipes that have been handed down through generations and their families, it, it does really, uh, it literally changes people's lives. I know that sounds kind of corny, but um, I do have women saying to me, this has changed my life. And... Um, and I can only imagine what it would be like if you come to a new place and you don't have the language and you're not connecting with others, you're kind of looking at your four, four walls every day and you're cooking all these amazing dishes in your home just for your immediate family to eat. And then suddenly someone says, hey, you know, we, we could give you a bit more training and our support and then paid hours to do what you love to do. And you will meet this other, you know, this group of um, fabulous women who are in similar situations 
and we will help you to be connected to other organisations and workplaces. It's kind of, yeah, it's like, it's gold really, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a wraparound magic, isn't it? It's such a, a fantastic formula. So how many different cultures are represented at A Pot of Courage? At the moment, I was having a little bit of an add up this morning because um, even in these three months that I've been away, I know we've had a couple more additions to what we call the A Pot of Courage family. So uh, Pakistani and um, Bangladeshi have been added to the mix in the last couple of months. So I think now we must be up to about uh, 14 maybe um, different cultures. Um that's, you know, amongst our casual um, staff and people do come and go. Um, you know, sometimes um, there will there will be a baby added to the Apoda Courage family and someone will time out for a while. But, you know, overall we've probably had about probably close to 19 uh, women through Apoda Courage since late 2019. Um, and, you know, some of them are still involved and we've had a lot of newbies come through as well. Is there a dish or a, a banquet or some or one of the cuisines that you've really just fallen in love with and, you know, that you can't do without now? Uh, look, I, I drool from over here in New Zealand when I see, you know, our new menu going up um, uh, as as what happened a couple of weeks ago. And um, normally I would be, um, you know, I would be taste testing. I'd be the quality assurance person at that end. So during lockdown last year, we had to be really innovative because we had only been in that um, cafe space for about um, six weeks before COVID hit. And I thought, oh, no, how are we going to keep this going? Um so, you know, the women came up with things like, okay, let's put together a Latin American banquet. Let's put together a Malaysian um, street food experience that people can order and have delivered at that time. So, you know, I love, look, I just, I love our menu <laughs> through and through. And I, I know it sounds really biased, but it's, it's such good food and it's cooked with heart. It's really... You can see when the women are preparing the dishes that they're often thinking about, you know, the the, the grandmother or the or their mum or the you know them up on a little stool at the kitchen bench in their younger years and learning all these things that they've now turned into an income, um, and it comes through in the food. Yeah, that's it's so rich, isn't that foods? It doesn't need to be just one thing. Um, so, Cherie, you know, COVID for a lot of people in Australia, it's been the biggest disruption to their lives. It's been, you know, the the for some people, it's been the hardest thing that they've had to navigate. For for a lot of people that have made Australia their home, you know, they've they've been through lots of other types of dislocation and difficulty. What have you noticed from the women that you work with, just in terms of the way they're able to? deal with the disruption of the pandemic um, and, you know, their resilience around around difficulties that we face? Yeah, so resilient. Like, you know, if we think that this is the worst thing that we have to deal with, I think it can be very grounding to be around a table, having that discussion and hearing stories of, well, you know, I've lived, not myself, but, you know, others would say, 
um, I've lived through conflict. I've I've lived through um, famines. I've you know had to wait um, years and years and years on a waiting list to um, be given um, permission to leave a refugee camp. And you know sometimes after you know ten fifteen years, I finally got that. Um, note up on a notice board in a refugee camp that has my name on it that says that I'm I'm out of there and I'm um, moving to Australia. So it, you know, I feel like every day um, things are put into perspective and I, I certainly have learned a lot over the years from working with the refugee and migrant communities in Ballarat and a lot of that is just simply about you know, sometimes just take a good hard look at yourself. If you think this is the the worst thing that's going on, no, you probably, um, you know, need to get out and, and see the world a bit more and um, and meet people from, from more diverse backgrounds and lived experiences. It's grounding to do that. Um, and, mm. So how does that manifest for some of these women that you see just in terms of how they deal with the ups and downs of lockdowns and, you know, Ballarat's just been in a lockdown recently and only just back out. Um, I mean, what is it, do they just take everything? I mean, I don't want to generalise, but is there a tendency to take things in their stride? Are they able to be more optimistic? Like what is, you know, what kinds of responses do you see? Yeah, definitely optimism. Uh, also, there's this, um, you know, we really work together as, as a, it's very important that we work together as a team that we see, because it's a social enterprise, obviously, you know, everything that we do is going to help us to remain open and to, to continue to provide opportunities for more women, more marginalised women. So there is that um, attitude of, okay, here's another little obstacle here's a you know another sort of wall that's gone up in front of us but let's put our heads together and work out um with all the skills that we have we you know we can get through this we can do it and innovation kicks in big time so you know our like our head chef Rishna and our kitchen coordinator um Lily are both very creative and uh, not just in, in food preparation but in everything that they do and they they will come up with these amazing plans that I just say go for it like we you know this is the time that we can have a go at taking a risk doing something differently and um, we, we do so far anyway keep kind of bouncing back each time another wall goes up. What kinds um, of things have they thought of? Well, even just things like, you know, last year when COVID first hit, okay, we we can't have the doors open as a, a cafe, but we can't we still have a kitchen, we still have cooks who need some work. Um, we have women who are out of work and other um, employment who we could pay to deliver, uh, del- literally drive around Ballarat delivering food. Um so, you know, that's that's when the um, takeaway delivery menu kicked in last year. And not just, oh, well, let's just, you know, sell our regular dishes. Let's think about what would be a truly new taste experience for people receiving this food on their doorstep. So that's how things like a Latin American banquet was born and, and you know, the, the Malaysian street food experience. So always trying to think about what – 
uh, what is our point of difference? What what is it that makes us unique, and and how can we really um, capitalize on that? Um, they do that well, uh, really well, um, and you know that's the kind of space that I love to be in, where people can think outside the square, and we see it as a as another blank canvas that we can you know that we can fill and color in the way that we do. Love it. Um, Cherie, you mentioned that you're there in your parents' or your family home with your mother's baking bits and pieces. I know that New Zealand baking culture is so strong. I've got a New Zealand baking Bible and I know that there's yeah, so much uh, love around a, a cake tin. What are some of the um, baked goods that your mum was uh, known for and loved to make? Yeah, mum... Like there was always, you know, a full biscuit tin in our house, and um, and we always were at the bench, you know, with Mum learning. And all of us, well, I'm not sure about my brother, but the three of us girls, um, we definitely um, have continued to be bakers and cookers and sharers of food right through life. Um, Mum would. Honestly, I'm blown away by the amount of recipes that she has cut out of newspapers. Um, She's written down that have appeared on TV. There's literally thousands upon thousands of recipes in this house. Um, like as my dad said, you'd have to live to be about you know 180 years old to actually get through all of these. But um, it ranges everything from um, seafood dishes to, you know, how to use the the stewed apple that, you know, were the apples from granny's tree or um, a lot of it is based on uh, what's in season and also mum was a big preserver. So, you know, how can we then incorporate um, all those jars that fill the shelves into, into our cooking and baking um, but the other thing that has been awesome is just finding things like uh, mum was a collector of very beautiful objects. She she should have had a shop really. But um, so the silverware, you know, that could be the cake servers and she made um, cake stands out of, you know, old plates that, you know, like the triple layers of plates. Um, yeah, she's made that. I didn't even know she was doing that, but I've found those while I've been here and many other um things that she loved craft and she loved to bake so you know this house is full of creations and um appliances that I didn't even know existed like there's an appliance for everything (laughs) and gadgets for everything um she had just um sadly not long before she passed away had bought this brand spanking new um KitchenAid you know stand mixer um so my sister's now you know got that and taken it out of the box and mum did a lot of baking with her grandchildren and so now my sister will keep that going with mum's stand mixer and you know keep baking keep the baking tradition um alive and kicking for sure (laughs) wow and I mean tell me something from the Maori traditions in your family that I might not know Ah, yes. Well, I mean, of course, big occasions because oh, not even big occasions actually, but many special occasions. Um, uh, we would never go past a hangi. So, do you know what I mean by hangi? Yeah. yeah. And um, so but perhaps explain it for people who don't know. Yeah. So, um, well, in our family, how it would work is that the, and I know it sounds very kind of. Um, gender stereotyped but the the men would get up in the morning and um they'd have a big 
pit dug in the ground and they would um, get a fire going that would then heat the rocks um, and so actually sometimes they would use like railway sleepers that would um, retain a lot of heat. When the fire dies down to the right level, they would um, drop a basket, like literally a big sort of wire basket um, into that that would be lined with like cabbage leaves and um, um, also uh, wet cloth that, you know, that damp, I should say, cloth because you're, you're aiming to create that steaming, um, smoky um, cooking method and, and um, taste, flavour. Um, the men would peel all the vegetables, no matter how many people were coming that day. They would do all of that. Um, you could then into the pit, you would put your vegetables, you'd put your meats. They all go in at the same time. And um, my nana even used to put steamed like plum puddings and like inside a um, like a what do you call it like a gauze bag a, a not a um, linen kind of bag I can't remember the right mm. word but anyway yeah um, and, like muslin yeah 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 that's right muslin bag and um, um, and that would go and then you basically seal it all up again with the the damp. Um, cloths or old sheets and cabbage leaves and you you know you basically cover it again so all the 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 earth goes on top and um and you know depending on how much food is in there it's hours later that it's then pulled up and I mean it's just it's divine it's healthy because it's it's a combination of steaming and smoking and we always said that actually the next day was even better because those flavors were so strong um, throughout the food and, you know, we'd, we'd chop it all up and put it in the oven and um, reheat it and, um, oh, you know, it nearly kind of makes my makes me salivate thinking about it because I, <laughs> I don't get to have that much in Australia, of course. Um, so, yeah, that was a big part of um, our upbringing. But then also just things like the other day um, I bought a, a big bag of watercress now, really, as one of my cousins said, you could have just gone down the road to the drain and got it for free. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, a massive big bag for $4 was absolutely a bargain. And, um, you know, I've been living on that stuff for the last few days and sandwiches and adding it to dishes and added it, you know, I've added it everywhere in the last four days. Seafood is another thing because obviously we're we're almost never far from the sea. Um, so over the last uh, week, I think we've had three or four different people dropping off um, snapper, fresh snapper. I know, and it's just, you know, and I've kind of, you get a bit spoiled really um, because, you know, that stuff's, it's, I don't know, $40-something or whatever it is in Australia a kilo. Um, and the fridge at the moment is, you know, full of fresh fish. It's great. <laughs> Actually, where exactly in New Zealand are you? So um, I grew up in the area that's called the Waikato. So Hamilton is the nearest city. And um, I grew up in a, a fairly small town of about 7,000 called Morrinsville. And um and, and just by the way, this is where Jacinda Ardern grew up as well. So um, we, you know, the... So everyone knows her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And her family, obviously, are, are pretty well known here. Um, you know, Jacinda was a good decade behind me, but she, um, you know, the family I know. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a... Um, 
farming area um, and we all around here seem to have massive, like grow lemons like you wouldn't believe. There's the hugest lemons and juiciest lemons ever. Um, and Fijoa trees, of course. I don't know if you're familiar with Fijoas, but yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. Every- but I've always said Fijoa, so I've obviously been saying it wrong. Is that how a proper New Zealander says it? Well, yeah, but I think they, they originate from South America, don't they, I think? So maybe we've got it wrong. I don't know. But we've- <laughs> Well, I know that. I know they're massive in New Zealand and yeah, there's, there's some that grow on the street around us. So yeah, I, I, um, I've made crumbles with them and put them in cakes and stuff. So yeah, they're a fantastic fruit. Oh, that's so good for cakes and things because, you know, the moisture that they provide is, is, um, amazing for cakes. Um, yeah. So everyone, you know, has these fruit trees and, and my mum and dad are big time gardeners. So we've grown up with that real appreciation of fresh produce walking out the door and picking you know our food for dinner that night and fruit trees and that's that's my upbringing and that's how I still prefer to live. Wow Cherie well it's I mean it's I can feel that it's a really rich time for you even though it hasn't worked out in any sense how you would have hoped but um, yeah you're obviously so connected to where you are right now it'll be interesting I just wonder, I want to know when you get back to Ballarat, I want to know how it all feels for you. Yes. Um, I think in all honesty that one of the things, when I get back, what will help me feel like, yep, I'm kind of not, well, I was going to say home again, but kind of second home again, (laughs) um, will be when I get back into the cafe. Um, You know, I have my full-time job, but I'm um, elsewhere, but I'm hoping that soon we will find um, maybe like a philanthropic organisation or something like that who will be able to help invest in us and um, then I can move from being, you know, running this voluntarily to actually um, turning it into a paid role and just expand it to its full potential. Um, but, yeah, when I'm back there with the women and in that cafe and, you know, with all my friends in Ballarat who support us so much, um, I know I'll, I'll be, I will be happy to be back there as well. Well, and this is probably the hardest question of all, but do you know when you can get back? No, this is this is uh, the million-dollar question for sure. I mean, look, we've you know, had lots of days in the last week in New Zealand where COVID case numbers have been between eight per day and 20. Um, so very, very low numbers, but it seems that for some reason we're still classed here as a red zone. Um, for COVID and uh, so until it's sort of reclassified um, there there are no flights uh, running um, unless you can charter your own plane you just have to stay put and wait. Goodness me I, well I'll be even more interested in the news from New Zealand and thinking of you as as yeah um, I'm sure it'll be reclassified soon I certainly hope so I know that it'll be an incredible reunion back at a pot of courage when you're able to return. Um, Maybe you should even have a hungy. Yes. Um, I do know a few other New Zealanders back in Ballarat that we we probably should do that. I've been involved in one actually back in Ballarat quite a few years ago with um, with a a Māori guy there who who did the bulk of the work. But, yeah, it's a bit of a, a treat when you're back in New Zealand and you get to be part of that type of feast again as well. Yeah. 
Very special. Uh, Sheree, it's been absolutely um, wonderful to speak to you, to hear about the New Zealand side of things and also to learn more about A Pot of Courage and the wonderful work that you and the women involved are doing there. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.